You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. I am Matt Jones. He is Meyer Metcalf. We are filling in for Spain and Fitz. A lot of stuff going on in sports today. You got playoff implications tonight with Brooklyn and Cleveland in the NBA. You got NFL offseason news. You got baseball started in the Big Apple as the Yankees beat the Red Sox in extra innings. But nobody really cares about any of that because what most of you have spent the afternoon doing is what Myron and I have spent the afternoon doing. And it's time to talk to you about it with Straight Talk, brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. Myron and I spent all afternoon watching Tiger Woods, cheering for Tiger Woods, hoping his chipping game would get better. He finished at plus one. He made the cut. Not quite what we hoped, but Tiger Woods is the story today and all weekend. Yeah, and I I was just thinking all weekend, man, like, what do you compare this to? You know, I think about, like, my dad's generation talking about what it was like when Muhammad Ali would fight and the world would just stop. And I remember what it was like being a kid watching Michael Jordan in the playoffs in the finals. You just had to stop what you were doing. You know, maybe Tom Brady had some of that. Uh, but there just aren't many people, many athletes you can compare Tiger Woods to where when he plays on the big stage, everybody stops what they're doing and they pay attention. And, and I think that to me is the most amazing part that here we are, this guy's in his 40s. He's not the same golfer he was. He's coming off this horrific accident, and yet we can't stop watching. And that just Let says me tell a lot you what's even more. Is. Let me tell you what's even more crazy. He's the only athlete in the history of sports with a massive bald spot that the whole world cares about and <laughs> thinks true. is cool. That's is there true. anyone else on earth that has that halo hair and the whole world <laughs> thinks he's the coolest man? There are no cooler people with horseshoe hair than no. Tiger Woods, and he is he is all you want to see. Scotty Scheffler's the number one player in the world. He's up by five shots. He's at eight under. He has a chance to destroy the field. He has a chance to run away with this Masters, and guess what? Nobody cares. The vast majority – Scotty Scheffler could walk down the street of any city in America and not even be asked what's going on with him. He's the yeah. most sort of anonymous great player in sports right now because all anyone cares about is Tiger Woods. The guy playing with him, uh, Joaquin Neiman, is more famous than Scotty Scheffler because yeah. he's been walking with Tiger Woods for two days, Myron. Yeah, I mean, you know, it is not even just the other golfers. What else has happened in the world of sports? I mean, you mentioned a playoff race. Is anybody really paying attention right now? We had opening day. We've had Major League Baseball. Who's paying attention to that? I mean, you, you've had stories across the world of sports that we don't even know. They haven't registered because everything is Tiger Woods, man. He's just – there is no one in my lifetime that I can compare him to. Like, he's just that unique, man. He really is. is it- I think the only person I could compare him to is Michael Jordan in the sense of it felt like – When Michael Jordan was at his peak, you did stop and sort of say, what is Michael Jordan doing? You know, there were moments, I think, Myron, where Mike Tyson had that, where the world just stopped and said, okay, what is Mike Tyson doing right now? Now, that ended, and it was short, and it didn't go for his whole career. I don't think there's ever been anybody like that in baseball. Football is almost too much of a team sport for that to happen. Individual guys don't just – they don't quite – they wear the helmet, and it just doesn't quite do it. Tennis hasn't had it, the auto racing. I think golf, and it's so weird because golf is the dorkiest sport. And I'm saying that is something, like, I'm good at it, and I'm a dork. So the fact that I can play it shows it's a problem. And yet, he walks. And when he walks, I mean, what's amazing about ESPN's golf coverage of the Masters is that they would rather, and by the way, this is the correct decision, they would rather cover him walking than 
players hitting shots yeah. because it's more compelling television to watch Tiger walk than to watch Scotty Scheffler hit an iron. And that just shows you how much bigger he is than the game itself. You're right. We don't care. You got a guy who is going to be ahead of everybody, could win this thing by four or five strokes, and we're just watching Tiger Woods. And I think you hit it. Michael Jordan certainly was that guy who kind of stopped the world. And obviously Muhammad Ali. Tom Brady, I think, had some of that. I think Mike Tyson is a really good comparison. The difference from all of those guys might be from start to finish in his career, Tiger Woods has been that. I remember, I think it was 96 or 97, he played his first yes. professional event in Brown Deer, Wisconsin, where I grew up, near where I grew up. And I remember the lines around the block there, right? I remember the people who were there lining up to see Tiger Woods. So from the beginning to the end, Matt, that's unique for him to still have this sort of world-stopping power. I've told this story on ESPN Radio before, but I was flying in La- at LaGuardia Airport when he won three years ago at the Masters. And if you remember, it was a weird situation. It was it, it had rained, or it was going to rain, so they did it early in the morning, which means it wasn't when you thought. When I tell you, I mean, New York City Airport – All anyone wants to do is fly. They don't want you to talk to them. They don't want you to get in in their way. They just want you to shut up. And yet, the entire LaGuardia Airport, everywhere I could see, everyone stopped moving to watch the final putt from Tiger. It was – I can't think of an event outside of something tragic that would have caused everyone to stop in the moment like they stopped, and that was LaGuardia – airport and for a person to have that impact we only won't see it in golf again I'm not sure Myron will see it in any sport and here's why I think nowadays because of social media everyone is overexposed and Tiger is still a holdover to an era where when he came up you still didn't quite know everything about these people there was still some mystery to him and Tiger has never been a guy to dance on TikTok guys Tiger's never been a guy to sort of be on Dancing with the Stars and so there's still mystery to him and I think that's part of why he's such a compelling figure. I think that's 100% accurate, you know, and, and and just sort of the ups and downs as well. I mean, Muhammad Ali boxed, and that was incredible, but, like, the world didn't start boxing because of him. And Michael Jordan played basketball, and there are a lot of people who are already playing basketball, and the same for Tom Brady. You know how many people play golf just because of Tiger Woods? Like, that's right. I remember yeah. my barbers, man, I, you know, predominantly black barber shop. And I remember, like, after Tiger Woods got good – all of a sudden, like, my barber's like, hey, man, uh, I can't cut you till 3 o'clock. I got to play 18 holes. These are people, Matt, who never even knew golf was available to them. Myron, to how, many pe- how many black people, seriously, watched golf before Tiger? I don't know. I don't know any. I don't know any. You know, did I don't you know, know any? I did, I did not know any. And I was with Nolan Richardson, you know, coach in Arkansas on his ranch about four or five years ago, and Tiger was playing. And we sat there for three, four hours just watching Tiger. Like, like that's the impact he has had. The cultural really? impact. Really? I, mean, I want to hear more about this. I want to hear about you and Nolan Richardson sitting out there with his horses because people don't realize he, Nolan uh, has horses from in Arkansas. You all sit out there and watch Tiger. We, we were watching Tiger. Well, first we had to find his llamas. He lost his llamas. So we had to go Oh, he lost his ranch. llamas. That yeah, we had to go sometimes. drive across the ranch and find his llamas. But then we were just watching Tiger. Nolan Richardson, after he retired, he, t- he took up golf. And he started playing golf. He lost like 50 pounds. Like that to me is the thing of Tiger Woods. The way he made it so that people in communities that never cared about golf suddenly picked up some clubs and started playing. 
If I had a dollar for every time I lost my llamas, it would be very difficult. But thankfully, uh, you have someone like you to help you find it. Well, I do think this, we're not only talking about his impact. What he did this weekend is amazing. I mean, obviously, you know, he had to put his foot back together. But he doesn't play. The thing that's unbelievable about him is he doesn't even play in a competitive PGA setting, and yet he comes to the Masters and he makes yet another cut. He's playing with guys who are doing it every day. You know, Brooks Kepka and Bryson DeChambeau both missed the cut. Tiger Woods, Myron, made it. So, so I want you to put some context on that because I always ask this when the Masters are played. I ask, okay, who's the best golfer you know and what would they shoot? And people will make up, oh, I know a guy who was shooting the 80s or something like that. <laughs> stop, how, stop. how crazy yeah. is it for Tiger to not compete and just to show up here and make the cut? It's insane. Now, I only think he could do it there because that course is set up. It's what I like to call old guy golf, meaning okay. it's long, and they've made it longer in recent years. But be, it's so much shot making. It's curving the ball. It's like the way guys play at the YMCA and pick up yeah. basketball. So old guys can do well there. Nicholas won when he was old. Tiger won when he was old. Fred Couples is 60 and sometimes shoots good rounds. But nevertheless, to not play competitively and to do what he did and make the cut, it's just amazing. And I think the best bet in golf is Tiger makes the cut at the Masters because I think he'll do it until he's 80. That's straight talk, straight talk wireless, no contract, and no compromise. Now, the Lakers season's done. Steph Curry said, yeah, I don't know if I want to play with LeBron, even if he would like to. But what else matters in the future? Will the Lakers matter with LeBron again? And what about the playoff push this weekend? That's next here on Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. We're dancing here on a Friday night on Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. We're presented by Progressive Insurance, and let me tell you, now, a no-frills ad brought to you by Progressive Insurance. No frills. This is all just facts. Here it is. You can save big when you bundle your home and auto with Progressive. That's it. See? Just a good old-fashioned, straightforward ad. If you can save and you want to save, 1-800-PROGRESSIVE or Progressive.com. I had frills ready. But they told me I couldn't give you any frills, so I just read it straight. Myron Metcalf, I'm Matt Jones. We talked a lot about Tiger. There's another big thing. The NBA season ends this weekend. Some big games tonight, including Brooklyn and Cleveland, who are playing basically to see who's going to get to host when they play again next week to decide who's the seventh seed in the playoffs. But there's a lingering story, which is LeBron James. He announced he's not going to play the last two games of the year which means he may or may not win the scoring title, probably will, but he leaves it open to lose. But, you know, this was not the year the Lakers wanted, and Jay Williams was on Keyshawn, Jay, Will, and Max. He's a co-host. Well, he was actually on first take, and he said the Lakers this year are the most disappointing team ever. Five Hall of Famers on the same team. Two guys who are part of the top 75 all-time players list on the same team. A guy involved in the greatest of all time player conversation between him, Mike, Kareem, whatever you want to put in that. In the conversation, they have 48 losses. It's the most of a LeBron James career. And you're telling me all this stuff that we've seen with Russell Westbrook, not by a Hall of Famer, can't find his jump shot? Can't find his jump shot? AD, who can't be available for a team that two years ago won the championship? For a team that then came the next year and LeBron James had his first round exit in a playoff series ever 
And the guys are talking about keep calling us old. That's disappointing. By the way, I'll correct one thing Jay will said. Four of the top 75 players on the team, not just two. Do you agree with Jay will Myron, that that, this is the most disappointing regular season ever in NBA history? I mean, you know, I I guess I don't know enough about what maybe happened in the 60s, 70s, and 80s. I mean, that – you know, that Carl Malone, Peyton Lakers team was supposed to win it all. But, no, I, th- I think this is up there because you just never imagine a world where they wouldn't at least be competitive and, and compete for a championship. So, for them to not even make the cut is kind of hilarious, right? Like, the way we talked about this last summer and they were getting the guys back together and it was going to be a lot of fun. But, like, no one thought to think, okay, but do these pieces all work together? And then you bring in a Westbrook and it's like, okay, where does he fit? And then it all collapsed. To, to me, the story is LeBron can't be your GM. Like, like this is the cautionary tale, Matt, on why even superstar players shouldn't have yes. personnel power because this is the situation you end up getting into. They go with their buddies, and then you end up watching the playoffs from wherever they're going to be in the Caribbean in the next couple of weeks. And I don't know why we ever have thought that was a good idea. I mean, you can even go back. Baseball for a while had player managers. Basketball had it a little <laughs> bit too. But, but, I mean, that was also strange. Like, who thinks the guy playing is objective in terms, in terms of figuring all this out? But I think what it says more than anything, Myron, is that the league has changed. You know, you remember when the, when the group got together in Miami, there was this belief of, okay, get three great superstars together, and you can put anybody with them and you'll win a title. You have three great superstars. Well, go get Birdman. He can start. That's yeah. fine. You can get Antoine Walker. He's 49. He can join the team, and it'll all be fine. And, and it worked, actually. Yeah. Now, I don't think that's true. I think there's so much talent in the league. There, I mean, I don't think people realize just how much better depth-wise the talent is in the league. So that now just getting three superstars and thinking it's going to work doesn't work anymore. Look what happened in Brooklyn. That fell apart. I think now you actually have to look at chemistry. When they brought in Russell Westbrook, Myron, I think it was over at that moment. Those three guys couldn't play together. And they took up the whole salary cap. And I don't care if they were healthy or not. They weren't good enough, and they didn't mesh, and they couldn't have won with that group. No, yeah. And, and, and I mean, that, that's why, like, this is a major disappointment, but there was a sense of, like, how is this going to work? And, and I don't get, like, NBA guys want to tell you that Russell Westbrook is still a great player. And, and I think if you're talking about production – if we're going to go back 20 years from now and we look at those numbers and him averaging a triple-double, that's still going to be amazing. That's still going to be his resume for the Hall of Fame. But it's also true that he doesn't fit with today's game. Like, Matt, people were trying to convince themselves that Russell Westbrook was going to be okay as a number three guy. When has Russell Westbrook ever been number three in anything? Like, when has he ever been someone who was like, don't worry, I'll take a back seat, you guys be the stars, and I'll just be over here? That's not his game. So then when he tried to assert himself, people were going, oh, man, this ain't working. Well, it was never going to work because he was never going to change the way that he plays. But put the pressure and put the criticism on LeBron James. This is his team. This is his team that he has And I love that he's already trying to back off of it. Already. Like, they're already, like I, I cannot wait. Next week, there is going to be a story. 
And I guarantee you it's going to happen, and I can't wait to read it, and I can't wait to see who writes it. I already have an idea of who will write it. But there will be a story that LeBron didn't really want Russell Westbrook. That story is coming. You know that story is coming. You know it's bogus, and it's going to be ridiculous, but it will be sad because he's going to try to save face. But it wasn't going to work, and Russell Westbrook has two things going against him. Number one, what you said. Game has changed. He's a high-volume shooter. Dudes like that, they just don't exist anymore, at least not on the level that he does. And number two, he's a dude that was good by being quick, and he got older, and it happens. But the great players are able to adjust their games as they get older. LeBron has. He's a different player than he was when he was younger. Russell hasn't, and when those guys get old, they start to drop off immediately, a.k.a. Allen Iverson. Yeah, well, and this is why you don't go out with your buddies at the sports bar and say, wouldn't it be cool if we all played together, right? Like, that's a conversation you have at the picnic. That's a conversation you have. I did that with have. you. I said, wouldn't it be cool to do a radio show <laughs> right? together? And so far, it's been all right. It's been okay. But, like, you don't take the group chat and turn that into an NBA franchise. You just talk about it, right? <laughs> they actually did it. And that, yeah. to me, is the challenge that someone's like, you know what, LeBron? This ain't a bad idea. It was a terrible idea from the beginning, and now they're paying for it. And they took – I think everybody got the wrong message from that Miami Heat team because that Miami Heat team worked, but I think what people forgot is you had three transcendent players, and Bosh was that till he got sort of injured and, and had health issues. But they were all in the prime of their career, by. They were all like prime stars. This is sort of – this would have been a heck of a team five years ago, but it's a little different now, and when you're not at your peak power, you're not the same guy. And I don't think LeBron is the same guy, but I definitely don't think Russell Westbrook's the same guy. Yeah, yeah, Miami was like Rocky three. This is like Rocky Balboa. You know, this is it's still some fun, some Rocky character. Rocky Balboa is not terrible. Eh, but, I, but I'm just talking about it's a different Rocky <laughs> is what we're talking about in terms of the, these teams and their competitive abilities. That's all. You you are always partial to the Rocky with Hulk Hogan. You always <laughs> were like that. You've been a Hulk Hogan mark your entire life. I know how you are. Well, that's what you're going to do. Now, there is there are other questions about, like, for instance, who's going to be the MVP? This may be the closest three-man race for the MVP of a long time. Do you like Jokic with his bad team that he's made decent? Embiid, Giannis? Who is the MVP? We'll get to that and more. We have a guest coming next to join us here on Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. It is Spain and Fitz here on ESPN Radio, presented by Progressive Insurance. I'm Matt Jones. Meyer Metcalf sitting in with me. We are getting ready for a big night of NBA actions. Already kind of tipped off a lot of them. And we have Matt Barnes, ESPN's NBA analyst with us. Matt is always entertaining. I'll start with this. I know there's a big playoff push. There's a lot of important games. But at the end of the day, I got to focus on the collapse of the Lakers. So if I were to say to you, give me the main reason why this Lakers season fell apart, what would it be? Hell. I think that obviously you have a LeBron James and, and Anthony Davis on the roster. Um, you add a Russell Westbrook, you kind of figure, hey, we can put anything out there with these guys and they'll make it happen. Um, and literally that's what they tried to do. And I think the fact that LeBron, you know, 19th year, doing a lot of different things, uh, you know, hit some, you know, had, had to take some time off. AD, obviously, you know, I feel bad for AD because someone who's injury prone, um, the injuries he had this year, they would have been 
bad injuries for anybody. You know, a hyperextended knee, a, a bad, severely sprained foot. Uh, but nevertheless, taking him off the court. And then I really feel like the key outside of the injuries was Russ and LeBron never got a chance to really figure each other out because they're similar players from a standpoint of they're both very ball dominant and at best when they have the ball in their hands. Do you think that would have worked? If if they had been healthy, Matt, do you think it would have worked? I think it would have took some time for the last point I made. I think it would have took time because I think, you know, normally you, you play with a great player like LeBron and everyone, you know, I've had a chance to play with a few great players and everyone kind of adjusts their game around the great player. But I think what it would have took is it would have took a little bit more sacrifice from LeBron understanding that he can get his and get everyone else whenever he wants. I, I think he could have put a little bit more focus on allowing Russ to kind of be Russ and figure out what exactly Russ can and can't do and, and when and when not to go. We did something the other day um, on uh, NBA Today, and we did the numbers. When Russ played by himself without AD and LeBron, he averaged nearly 27 points a game, like eight, eight or, uh, nine assists, eight rebounds. With LeBron, he only averaged 16 points and like five and seven. So I think the key was just kind of figuring out who and, and when was going to have the ball and who was going to make the plays. I just think the only way you figure that out, if it's going to be figured out, is time on the court together. Matt, you know more about basketball than I'll ever know. I do wonder, after watching Westbrook this year, is this the end of the volume shooter? Like, have we just seen the end of guys who play like that, that they're just never going to be helping a championship championship contender going forward? Uh, I mean, I wouldn't say that. You know, a lot of people want to say, you know, Chris Paul had a terrible season. Um, where was it? In Houston. And everyone said, oh, CP is done. And then he rid and resurrected Oklahoma City. And now we all see what he's doing in Phoenix. Um, now, I'm not, no way am I trying to compare CP3 to Russ. But I just, you know, as I stated a second ago, when Russ is the center of attention, uh, you know, he averaged nearly 26 and a half points for the Lakers. So I wouldn't say that Russ is kind of washed or the volume shooter is done. I just think it's going to take now with Russ being the age he is coming in on the backside of his career, it's going to take a really good situation that understands who Russ is and, and, and the parts around him to make, you know, Russell Westbrook be as successful as he has been, in the uh, you know, previously in his career. I'm excited about the playoffs, but I'm trying to figure out the East. And when I watched last night, the Raptors beat the Sixers and Harden, James Harden had 13 points and he was three of 12 shooting and, and, and Harden, with Philly, just it's not quite been probably what we hoped, or even maybe what Philly hoped. Do you think we see the Harden every what? Well, the Harden that they traded for when the playoffs start, or we're going to see more of the same that we've kind of seen all season? I'm not sure if it's a lingering injury or if it's more mental with James. You know, it, it's kind of hard to tell. We never really know what is going on with the guy. You know, I've played and, you know, played hurt, and sometimes you say you're hurt, sometimes you're not. So I don't really know what it is. He just hasn't been playing the type of basketball that we're accustomed to seeing, you know, the stretch run he made while he was in Houston. Um, so I don't know. I really feel like, you know, for this for Philly to make any kind of run, James Harden has to be the amazing player he's been, you know, the last handful of years. And particularly of late, he's been playing – not well, shooting the ball poorly, uh, and it just hasn't looked like this, the, you know, the guy that we've all grown to love. So it'll be interesting to see if he can turn it on in the playoffs. You know, he's had his struggles, you know, in the past in, uh, in the playoffs. And, you know, for this team to really make any noise, you know that Embiid is, you know, arguably in some people's eyes the MVP. 
and can win MVP. So you know what he's going to bring. I like the way Maxi has developed. Um, you know, you got Tobias Harris over there, but what James Harden is Philadelphia going to get? And I guess we're going to have to wait to see until it actually happens. Matt, I'm from Milwaukee, but this is this ain't a biased question. Why isn't Giannis the MVP? Sure it isn't. It was, sure missing? it's not a biased question. What am Listen I missing, to this. man? Why isn't Giannis the MVP? Help me understand. I couldn't tell you that he's not, to be honest with you. I, I think, to me, it's, it's a three-man race, and I think it's as open as it's ever been. You know, normally by this time, we kind of already know there's a clear-cut MVP. I mean, people are, you know, I just spoke on Embiid in the great season he had. You know, Joker is creating history, you know, every time he plays. He's, you know, with the 2,000, 1,000, or 500, no one's ever done that. Um, and then you have Giannis, who has, you know, his team has kind of slowly been revving up the entire season, getting guys healthy and getting to the point where, you know, they're ready to defend the title. So whether Giannis wins MVP or not, I think it'll be Milwaukee's East to lose, even though they're in the second seed. I really feel like Milwaukee, along with Phoenix, are the two most complete teams in the NBA. So whether the individual accolades come, I don't think he cares about that. I know he, I know he wants another ring and probably another finals MVP. But who's your MVP, though, Matt? Like, who is the MVP for you right now? I would give it to Embiid. Uh, I just think, you know, the year he's had – uh, you know, the, the, all the noise that they've had. You know, you're a former athlete, you know. The outside noise, you know, can creep in sometimes. And with all the Ben Simmons drama they had this season, he played great. Getting James Harden, he's continued to play great. James started off playing really well with him. James's play has dropped off. But the one thing that's been consistent throughout this year is the way Joel Embiid has just dominated um, from all three levels on the offensive end, doing a good job on the defensive end. But, I mean, I don't recall a big being doing what he's done you know, the, the the way he's scoring from if you have to double or triple team him on the block, you know, coming in the perimeter, he's taking guards and bigs off the dribble and getting to a spot and then a much improved three-point shooter. So I'm a big fan of Embiid. I, I think he's done enough to get the nod. But to be honest with you, between Joker, Embiid, and Giannis, it's really a flip of the coin. And, and, and who, do you, who do you personally like? Because all three guys, you know, numbers are great. Uh you know, Milwaukee and, and Philly are, are, are definitely in the hunt. And, you know, unfortunately with Denver, with, you know, their, their other stars misses, Joker's done a lot of the heavy lifting, obviously. The worst thing said today so far is Myron saying he's not biased here. We're talking to Matt Barnes, ESPN NBA <laughs> analyst. Uh, let me ask you this question. So it's looking like Brooklyn will play Cleveland in the play-in. Let's assume Brooklyn wins that game. I think they would. That would make them the seventh seed. Milwaukee, Boston, and Philly are all within a half game of each other for the second seed if they went out, or you could lose and be the third and fourth. If you were those teams and nobody would question you, would you want to lose and not have to play Brooklyn in the first round and instead get Toronto or Chicago, or would you like to take them right off the bat? I mean, obviously no one's going to say what we're all thinking. I don't think anyone really wants to play Brooklyn, to be honest with you. But, you know, obviously when you're a top team, you know, you're a top two, two seed and those guys are fighting for that second spot. You really don't want to dodge any smoke. Uh, you know, but at the end of the day, this, this, this Brooklyn team isn't your typical play-in team first and foremost. And then when they lock that seventh seed in, they're not going to be your typical seven seed you know when Kyrie and KD are both on the floor together their offensive rating is number one in the league and their defensive rating is number seven uh this year combined they average 57 points together I think that needs to be around 65 come playoff time combined they need to average 65 so both will be up you know both will be uh need to be above 30 32 points a game 
um, which is possible. You know, those are two of the best scorers in the league. To me, KD is the best player on the planet. Um, but to answer your question, you know, all those teams are going to act like, hey, bring it on. We don't care who we play. I think the only team that doesn't really care who they play is Brooklyn. Matt, did both Brooklyn and Philly lose the James Harden, Ben Simmons trade? <sighs> Man, it's just a, it's an unfortunate situation. I'm, I'm a big fan. I got a chance to play against James Harden, and, and his greatness is, is, to me, still undervalued, even though how great he was. You know, but the fact that he forced his way out of two situations and then up to this point in Philly not necessarily performed – it's just been disappointing from my, you know, I'm a fan now. So from a fan fam, I'm like, you know, you're so great, but now your headlines outside of actually playing basketball are what people are talking about instead of your actual game. And you never want that to happen. And then the Ben Simmons situation, you know, I, I respect Ben for standing on his guns. You know, this is a different time. You know, when I played, you know, coaches talk bad about you, teammates talk bad about you. You, you have a conversation in the locker room, wherever that leads to lead, but you end up going down there and playing. Ben Simmons didn't take that right. You know, Doc Rivers said something questionable. Joel said a few questionable things, and, and he stood on his gun until he got traded. Now, I, I think speak for everyone. We were hoping once he got traded, he'd be able to ramp back up and get on the court. Um, but it looks like we're not going to see him for the rest of the season. So is there a real winner in the trade? I would say if there was a winner in the trade, I would say it was Brooklyn from a standpoint of they got so much depth now, and that was something they lacked. And, you know, you had a Steph Curry who's, a, you know, an excellent shooter, you had a big man in, uh, in Andre Drummond. And then although Gordon Dragic wasn't in the trade, you had someone like Gordon Dragic with, you know, veteran playoff experience. So I would say if any team won, the, the, the stars in the situation haven't necessarily made the, the trade what you would think it would. But taking the stars out, I would say Brooklyn because they added depth, and that was something they definitely lacked. Matt Barnes, ESPN NBA analyst, thank you very much for the time. We appreciate it and enjoy the playoffs. No problem. So I was watching the Masters right now, but we'll get to the playoffs when they come. Dude, Tiger, Tiger trumps everything. We've been talking about it. We appreciate yeah, it. Yes, yeah, absolutely, fellas. Have a good one. Tiger's the most important story, no matter what it is for Matt Barnes and it is for Meyer Metcalf and Matt Jones here on Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. But there's other things going on, including there's a major legal case with the NFL, and there's some evidence that may have come out in the last day or two that could have a huge implication on the league. Will it matter, and will the former NFL coach at the center of it make a big difference? That's next here on Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. It is Spain and Fitz here on ESPN Radio, presented by Progressive Insurance. He's Meyer Metcalf. I'm Matt Jones. We are filling in on a Friday night. You know, Meyer and I was actually on vacation this week, and I stopped my vacation to be here with you tonight on a Friday night. That's how much I enjoy your company and the chance to talk about sports to this national radio audience. I mean, I usually feel special doing a show with you, but today it's extra special. It's extra special. I even, you can see I have a little bit of a sunburn because I've been outside and, been, and I came back inside for this. On Friday nights, I always like to do, Myron, a little, uh, you know, sort of give people recommendations of what they could do during their streaming or during their, you know, weekend. Obviously the Masters is on. A mm -hmm. lot of people will watch that. But do you have a streaming show or something you would recommend to people they should check out and binge watch over the weekend if they get some free time? I'm watching a show called The Invisible Pilot on HBO, which is <laughs> the like what? The, it's called The Invisible Pilot. It's this guy who like had this sort of crazy backstory. He was a pilot 
Uh, and he was invisible. That's crazy. Well, no, no, there's just a whole. It's a. It's an interesting story about a pilot and like the drug trade and all these crazy okay. twists and turns. Well, I hope you didn't do the upfronts for it because I still don't think I know what it's about with that explanation. But uh, I'm, I'm going to say, I'm going to say uh, for my man in studio, we have a producer named Ben, and he likes the show Money Heist. It's a yeah. Spanish show on Netflix. I haven't seen it. I watched the first episode. I liked it, but then I kind of got into other stuff. And he wants America to know Money Heist. So when you this weekend, if you're looking for something to do, you get on Netflix, you turn on Money Heist, and you think of Ben, and he will smile because he will be excited because you are having pleasure with his recommendation. So Money Heist and then whatever it is the Invisible Pilot is <laughs> that Myron so eloquently uh, recommended. Now, there's some big news in the NFL. Steve Wilkes and Ray Horton, two former uh, head coaching candidates in the NFL. In Wilkes' case, he was the Cardinals coach for one season. They have joined Brian Flores' lawsuit against the NFL and the teams alleging racism in hiring practices. Now, there's a lot of complications as to their joining, but maybe the most important part is that Ray Horton interviewed for the Tennessee Titans head coaching job in 2016, and as part of the joinder of the lawsuit, they allege that in an interview, Mike Malarkey, who got the Tennessee Titans job in 2016, as part of an interview he did in 2020, he said that he was told before the interview he had the job no matter what. And that, of course, has led Horton to say the interview process and the Rooney rule was a sham process showcasing that the NFL does not follow its own policies to try to lead to diverse hiring practices. Myron, I always say this, I'm a former lawyer, the le- a lot of times when the public talks about the legal implications of things, they don't always get it right. And we can talk details if you want. But the most important thing about this is these two other coaches joining, join with evidence. And that evidence in particular, I think, could be very damning for the NFL. And, and I think where the evidence is coming from, Mike Malarkey is a guy who played in the NFL for a decade. And then he coached for almost 40 years. So this isn't somebody who kind of just got a cup of coffee in the well, Why don't we play what he said? Do you yeah. mind if we play what he said right here? Because I, 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 we need to play this. This is Mike Malarkey. He was on a Steelers Realm podcast in October 2020. The ownership there, uh, Amy Adams Trunk and her family came in and, and told me I was going to be the head coach in 2016 uh, before they went through the, the Rooney rule. And so I sat there knowing I was the head coach in 16 as they went through this fake hiring process, knowing I knowing a lot of the coaches that they were interviewing, knowing how much they prepared to go through those interviews, knowing that, that everything they could do and they had no chance of getting that job. That's sort of fascinating to me, Myron, that he would say that. Like, it's not like he said it offhanded. He was sort of indicting the NFL in the statement. Yeah, I mean, and this is a guy who coached forever, almost you know, 30 years, played in the league for a decade. Um, and if you listen to the rest of the clip, he talks about how guilty he feels. Like, here's the reality when stuff like this happens. When, when black folks talk about racism and discrimination, there's a, a certain segment of the population that eventually goes, whatever, sure, everything's so hard, everybody's against you. And, and, and that's happening in this NFL conversation with Brian Flores and his lawsuit. But Mike Malarkey coming into this and saying, yeah, 
everything they're saying, uh, I was one of the coaches who was told he had the job and that the Rudy process was a sham. That adds to me, Matt, so much weight and credibility to everything we've already heard. There's no reason for Mike Malarkey to come in and lie about anything or to make up a story. How does it help him? So that adds credibility to what we've already heard so far from some of these Brian Flores allegations. In this lawsuit, the best defense the NFL had to Brian Flores' lawsuit was, look, we created a process that the law does not require us to do. The law does not require the Rooney Rule. The NFL did that themselves. And the NFL would then say, this, us creating this is a good piece of evidence that we don't discriminate. And if you're a juror who doesn't know anything, that might actually sound compelling. Wait a minute. They put these uh, steps that teams have to go through that they don't have to do legally, that they did it, good for you, NFL. But now this piece of evidence indicts what I think was the NFL's best piece of evidence. It basically says the thing you're using to say that you do not discriminate is in and of itself, oh, I don't know, malarkey. And they show it by the actual words of the person who won the process. This isn't the loser of the process saying it. It's the winner of the process. I do think in terms of from just a legal standpoint – this may be the biggest thing I've heard yet in the entire sort of lawsuit as a whole. It feels so compelling, and obviously you have the legal background. It also makes me wonder, Matt, who else is out there? I mean, does Malarkey's comments make other people go, you know what, I've got a side of this as well, and and these guys shouldn't be out there alone talking about what happened to them. I know that I was someone who got an opportunity and the Rooney process wasn't legit. That, to me, is what this could encourage as well. And it looks like the NFL has a challenge on its hand with this situation. Yeah, the NFL can't like this, and I think this will be. That podcast could end up being something that flips how this case will end up being done. Spain and Fitz is brought to you by Liberty Mutual Insurance. Liberty Mutual customizes your coverage so you only pay for what you need. Now, opening day in Major League Baseball, it's occurred. You may not have even known about it, but it happened. What was the biggest thing that came out of it? That's next here on Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. It is Spain and Fitz here on ESPN Radio, presented by Progressive Insurance. I'm Matt Jones. He's Meyer Metcalf. We are filling in for the esteemed regular host of this show. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. Progressive can protect your home, auto, boat, motorcycle, ATV, RV, and more. In short, a lot of things. Bundle today at Progressive.com. Be like Myron with his ATV insurance and go to Progressive.com. Tiger Woods made the cut at the Masters. Scotty Scheffler has a five-shot lead. Go on the record, Myron. Is Scotty Scheffler going to be the first Scotty to win the Masters? Yeah, I think he, I think this lead's insurmountable. It feels that way. I think Scheffler wins. A lot of people over the years have said that. It's true. Asked Jordan Spieth a few years ago how insurmountable elite Greg Norman many times uh, did it. But join us on the phone, switching gears. Let's go to baseball. It was opening day. Buster Olney is ESPN's Major League Baseball insider. And I got to tell you, Buster, I look around the country at Major League Baseball. I watched a lot of the Red Sox and Yankees today. And still, I just can't make myself get going. So I would ask you, if I'm a regular fan, what are two or three of the big national storylines baseball needs to capitalize on and is, should focus on to start the season? 
Oh, boy. Well, first off, they're playing, right? Because <laughs> we wondered for a couple months whether or not they'd be playing at all. Uh, number two, you know, the great young players that baseball has. You know, there's always that conversation about how baseball doesn't market the sport very well. Uh, they've got a great product to market. You know, for example, yesterday, Bobby Witt Jr., the Kansas City Royals, who I think is going to be an absolute superstar uh, drives in the go-ahead run for the Kansas City Royals. It's just kind of a fun thing because there's been so much conversation about uh, sign stealing and the, what happened with the Houston Astros in 2017. The introduction of this technology, which is going to completely change the way the game is played, where you've got the catcher signaling with a transmitter worn on the, the wrist of his gloved hand to uh, signs to the pitcher. And I got to tell you, you know, the Cincinnati Reds last night were using it. It absolutely streamlined that game, uh, made the pitchers work faster. At this moment, I think only about half the teams are using it, but I don't think there's any doubt by the end of the year you're going to see 30 for 30 because of the high degree of paranoia that you tend to have in baseball. Buster, how many Yankees fans are going to become Mets fans when Aaron Judge inevitably signs with the Mets uh, next year? <laughs> wow. Oh, that is a loaded question. <laughs> but you're right. Uh, New York Talk Radio today, after word came out that the Yankees didn't sign Aaron Judge, that was all the talk because that's the worst nightmare. And if you look at this from 30,000 feet, you know there is a, a, a tremendous shift in the dynamic between these two teams since Steve Cohen took over uh, as owner of the Mets, where he now is, is uh, doing what George Steinbrenner used to do in terms of buying the you know, the most expensive and the best players. That's not necessarily the case anymore. It's going to put some pressure on the Yankees. In this particular negotiation, I can tell you flat out, they were not close to a deal. You know, the, the Yankees, from their perspective, they're looking at an outfielder with an extensive injury history. You know, a couple days ago, uh, Jose Ramirez signed a deal with the Guardians, five years and $124 million. He's actually at about the same age as Aaron Judge, so the Yankees thought that offering him uh, Judge 230 reflected some market value. On Aaron Judge's side, he's, uh, I think, feeling like, look, if I get to free agency, I've seen the big money that guys like uh, Mookie Betts have gotten, I might get that contract if he can stay on the field. Aaron Judge bet on himself. That's a lot of money to walk away from at the Dodgers lineup and look I'm not a baseball expert but it sure looks like one of the best that I can ever remember in recent times are we looking at one of the potential for like a modern baseball juggernaut with this lineup the Dodgers put on the field every day yeah it could be but I, I do think there are a couple of X factors one is obviously health when you look at a guy like Justin Turner at an advanced age, can he, uh, you know, can he stay on the field for, say, 130, 140 games? At the end of last season, the Dodgers actually felt like they probably overplayed him. And the number two X factor, Cody Bellinger, who, uh, you know, a couple of years ago he won the MVP award in the National League. Uh, last year he was absolutely awful. His strikeout rate was off the charts. And in, for most of spring training, he was really terrible. Uh, he's trying to make some swing adjustments. If he can come back to being the player uh, that he was a few years ago, yeah, I think the Dodgers can be that great. Buster, I'm walking through Target, and I see Shohei Otani on the cover of the show, the Major League Baseball video game. I thought that was pretty cool. What does this season mean for him, and how special is he going into this next year? 
Well, uh, you know, as Joe Madden said to me, the Angels manager, uh, you know, 2021 from Otani was a season that we've never seen before and we may never see again. Uh, so I think for Otani, it now goes, he's proven to everybody how great he can be. Uh, and, you know, he believes absolutely that he can sustain this. I think he and the Angels did a really good job of communicating last year when he would get tired. You know, he would tell the Angels they would back off him, you know, maybe move back to start a couple of days, maybe give him a day off. Uh, you know, now having this rule in place where he can start a game on the mound but continue to be the DH even after he leaves as a pitcher, I think gives him a chance, if he can stay healthy and stay on the field, to maybe even be better than last year when he hit 46 homers and 103 runs and, and had a 3-1-8 ERA. You know, Buster, I will finish you with this. I'm 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 a Reds fan, so I I'm, I admit I'm partial to them. But I look at that team, and I sort of wonder if it's a symptom of a bigger issue with Major League Baseball. Our other major sports still have a salary cap, so there's still the theory of parity. The Reds came in last year, had a great lineup, and basically had to trade most of it away for financial reasons, and that still is a reality for over half the teams in Major League Baseball. I know they're not going to do anything about it. But do you think that is one of the things that holds baseball back, that when the season starts, half the teams at least don't really feel like they have a shot? And is there anything baseball can do about it? I think it absolutely hurts baseball. And last summer, you know, the owners in the early part of the CBA negotiations suggested a system uh, to the players where you would have a salary floor for teams like the Reds. Uh, for teams like the Tampa Bay Rays, the Baltimore Orioles have been doing tankathon now for four straight years, and the players rejected it. And I got to tell you, the player leadership, I should say, rejected it. Uh, I had a lot of conversations with rank and file players who feel like the middle class among the players would really benefit from that. There's no question, small and big market teams would benefit from it. And even after all the you know the haggling and the back and forth and the 99-day lockout. Guys, they did nothing to curb tanking. You will see, you know, the Orioles tank again this year. The Pirates tanking again this year. I think that the number is 11 different individual players will make more money than the entire Oakland Athletics roster. That's a joke. And I'm, I, I think, first and foremost, the owners have to go to the players hat in hand and say, look, we have to fix this. And the players have to be willing to be collaborative and to talk about how to fix this problem, because it is an issue in baseball. It really, I think, especially reflected in the small markets. Buster, Buster on ESPN Major League Baseball Insider. Great stuff as always. I can hear the excitement in your voice for opening day having just occurred. Enjoy the weekend, and we appreciate your time. Thanks, guys. Great talking with you. There you go. We always like uh, talking to Buster, feeling that baseball excitement. Are you feeling baseball excitement, Myron? Are you like, hey, it's spring has sprung. I get to watch, hear the crack of the bat and go to my local park and, and maybe eat some Cracker Jacks? I'm excited for baseball. Yet remember, I'm in Minnesota where they had to move opening day because of the weather, right? So there was some snow in the forecast, so they had to move it by a day. Uh, by the way, every city should be required to have a dome over their baseball stadium, but I'm excited for the season we just got to figure out how to plan things. Nobody wants to go see baseball a, in a dome. Listen, Nobody – domes – baseball is outside. Any Anybody who goes and watches it in a dome, that's a terrible experience. That's a conversation for everybody outside the state of Minnesota.
if it's 35 degrees in early April, put a dome on that thing so you don't have to move your opening day, Matt. Okay? You, I, I can't believe it. You probably would like the Masters to be in a dome as well. You just don't like going outside. You don't like being outside. You want 71 degrees air conditioning. I know how you are. Is Tune into the ESPN. I, I do. Tune into the ESPN Daily Podcast. We bring you a deep dive into a single story from one of ESPN's hundreds of reporters. It's presented by Supercuts. Download, subscribe, and review ESPN Daily, available wherever you enjoy your podcast. I enjoy them uh, everywhere. I'll tell you what I don't enjoy. A certain college football coach that acts like he knows what's best for the whole sport, and he's stuck in a generation about 50 years ago. Every time he talks, this college football coach grates on my nerve. Well, he did it again today. I'll tell you who it is and his ridiculous comments. That's next here on Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Do you ever have a coach or an athlete or a public figure that every time they, they talk, it just it's like nails to a chalkboard to you? For a lot of America, that person might be me. But I actually have – an individual like that. It's Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, presented by Progressive Insurance. He's Myron Metcalf. I'm Matt Jones. We're filling in. Myron, do you have somebody like that? Is there someone that, like, in sports, every time they talk, you're just like, I'm not going to like what's going to come out of, of their mouth? Mike McCarthy does that to me. <laughs> but that's just because you don't think he can coach. I don't think you particularly care what he says. You just don't think he's a good coach. He just, he just bothers me. I don't know how to describe it. He just, just bothers me. Well, I'll tell you mine. He coaches a little team called Clemson, and it's Dabo Sweeney. There's something about him. I don't remember when it started, Myron. I think it started when I'd see him and like, I think one year maybe they played in the semifinals of the playoff, and they were like, all right, if you, you know, they, and they won, and they go, all right, you're going to be playing, you know, Alabama or whoever in the next game. What do you know about him? He's like, oh, I haven't seen them all year. I don't know anything <laughs> about those guys. I'm just a humble college football guy. And I was like, stop it. All right, I don't even want to stop it. All right, and then he has been the one person, the voice out there saying, you remember college sports when it was real exploitative 30 years ago and, like, nobody got to do anything and the coaches made all the money and the players didn't even get consideration for anything? He's the one guy going, those were the good old days. We should go back to the Andy Griffith show. That was when life was how it was supposed to be. That's Dabo. And he continued that again today. He said – in an interview with Chris Chris Lowe of ESPN, that college football needed to be completely blown up. He said that there needs to be two different rules, rules for Power 5 schools and for smaller schools. Now, he's not the first one to say that. Yeah. But even with his Power 5 schools, he says that the current system, in terms of name image likeness, has become the professionalization of college athletics. And here's what he said. I think this devalues education, and I'm against anything that devalues education. I'm for anything that incentivizes education. People will come after me because I've always said I'm against the professionalism of college athletics, and I am. Kids don't know what they don't know. That's a slippery slope if you professionalize college athletics, and now you got salaries and taxes, and you can fire kids on the spot, and they got to pay for their tuition, and they pay for their housing and everything else. He sounds like, to me, like somebody who just starts talking and doesn't know what's coming next, where he's like, and then you got tuition, and you got, you got housing, you got to pay for food. My goodness, what's going to happen? Yeah. 
he basically is saying, give me the coach millions of dollars, yeah. players get nothing. And by the way, you shouldn't be able to transfer to a better school or a different school because you're here and you're mine. He really is embodying what college athletics has been for the last 60 years. It drives me nuts, Myron. What about you? Yeah, it, no, that, that part gets on my nerves. I mean, let, let's be real. There's a, there's a generation of Clemson players who are looking at these NIL deals and going, that's all you got? So so let's not pretend like <laughs> guys weren't getting paid. I, I can't stand this idea that people are like, in the 90s and the 2000s, we didn't make any money. Like, yes, they did. It, it just was under the table. So, you know, I think Dabble's talking like this because he doesn't have the advantage that he once did. He, he's not going after transfers, so he's at a major disadvantage there. And, yeah, name, image, and likeness gives schools power that they didn't previously have in, in recruiting. And, ultimately, I think that is going to do more to even the landscape. Now, will I I, where, where I agree with him is I do think there's a world coming where Power 5 separates. And Power 5 and the other big schools kind of end up doing – their own But thing. he thinks even the Power 5 schools players shouldn't make money. And that's where I'm against him. That's the part where I don't agree. But like, let these guys capitalize on their names, their images, and their likenesses. And think about, Matt, what I think about is how many players in the last 30 years have been denied the opportunity think about how to much so money. much money. Johnny Manziel would have made, or Tim Tebow, Jimmer or Cam Newton, or Jimmer, or Leitner. I mean, just you could just you could name a zillion of them. What drives me crazy about this is this idea that somehow this is all bad. I am on the ground of it with the players at Kentucky, and very few of them are getting huge deals. They're getting like a few thousand dollars here and there, Myron, and that's actually – what's wrong with that? Who could ever care about that? Now, there's a few guys that make a lot of money, but you know what that's called? That's called life. There are a few people that make too much money and they get it and the rest of us have to deal with it. That's called life, Dabo, and I think you make too much money as a coach. You make more than all those professors, and what you do is significantly less important to the universe, but you still get paid more, and I haven't seen you offering a dollar to the science professor or the guy teaching or woman teaching education because that's not what you want to do with the money. What has happened, though, and I agree with you, this is level the playing field, and here's why. Some schools are now going to, through this endorsement process, be able to offer things that other schools can't. Two examples, Texas A&M. People wonder, why is Texas A&M number one in the recruiting rankings? NIL, period. Ask anybody in the process. Nobody wants to say it, but it's true. It's NIL. And the second one's going to be Tennessee. Tennessee's got a lot of boosters who've decided, you know what? I'm tired of us being bad. We're going to start doing this in recruiting. And those two schools through NIL are going to now go get recruits, Myron, they couldn't have otherwise. A hundred percent. Now, I think that's an advantage for college football, and it diversifies the talent pool. I mean, you looked after the season. Matt, there were 15 elite quarterbacks in the transfer portal. That's what's going to happen is every year – you're going to have 10 to 15 schools that have access to an elite quarterback, and that's going to yes. give them an advantage. You're not going to have four or five-star guys waiting to get their turn at the same school. They're going to go and see what they can do at another place. So that helps. But, again, it's also the dabbles of the world who act as if the other way was better. So so the NIL deal when it was somebody knocking on But the other way was door, better for them. For the, 100%. <laughs> it was better for them, but not better for the sport. 
but but you know, some guy knocking on your door at eleven o'clock at night and handing the kid an envelope, like you want that? Everything's above board now, and you still have complaints. And you realize these guys were never going to be satisfied unless it worked in their favor. And when it didn't, all of a sudden the dabbles of the world go, wait a minute, we got to change this up. That quarterback thing is huge that you just said. Next year, potentially one of the two or three best quarterbacks in college football is going to be Will Levis at Kentucky. He was at Penn State. And before NIL and before the transfer portal, he'd have stayed at Penn State, played one year, and Penn State would have had him rolling. But he wanted to play immediately. So he goes to Kentucky. Guess who benefits? Kentucky. And Penn State will find another quarterback. That actually has the potential to help more schools. I think the transfer portal is great, and I think NIL probably needs to be regulated a little, but is so much better than what it was before that people who complain like Dabo should just shut up because they drive me insane. Now, what shouldn't (laughs) shut up is talk about Tiger Woods. He is right there going at Augusta. He made the cut. We'll talk about what that means next here on Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Oh, there's the song that uh, Myron does all his TikTok dances to. It's Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, XM Channel 80. I only know modern music, by the way, by TikTok. If it wasn't for that, I couldn't have told you what that song was or who it was. I'm not into it like our next guest, Bob Herrig, SportsIllustrated.com golf writer, who I know knows all the latest music. Am I right about that, Bob? (laughs) I don't know. You better be careful. If you test me, I could embarrass myself here. (laughs) (laughs) That's okay. You're busy with other stuff. I understand. Now, I mean, if I was a golf person, you probably would say, wow, Scotty Scheffler's up five and he's the number one player in the world, but I don't care about that. Most people don't. They care about Tiger Woods. And we were talking (laughs) earlier about the fact that he made the cut. I watched nearly every shot of both rounds, and I think that's what most people did over these two days. It is amazing to me that not playing competitive golf and after his accident, he made the cut. But I also believe Augusta is the one place at the Masters you can actually do that because of the way the course is set up and et cetera. Do you agree that both of these things can be true? It is amazing, and it's also probably the only place it could have happened? I think it's probably the only place it could have happened this soon. You're right. I mean, it is amazing, of course. I mean, um, would we have been surprised if he was real shaky and, and you know, caught a, shot a couple of 76s and missed the cut? I don't think so. I think that would have been, you know, fairly standard given what he's been through. But, uh, you know, obviously he came here with his game. He's, he's got some good stuff going on with his game. It's not great. It's not perfect. There's mistakes being made. But, um, but his knowledge of Augusta National and the fact that, you know, it doesn't require the youth of today to necessarily prevail. It's not a birdie fest necessarily. Um, you know, you can, you can get away with plotting your way around and, and, and being conservative, which he's sort of been doing, you know, and, and, and a couple of bogeys don't kill you. So all those things lead to, you know, where we are now, which is, you know, really a, a, a pretty impressive position tied for 19th. Yes, he's way back at Scotty Scheffler, but Scheffler's five ahead of second place. Tiger's only four out of second, you know, and uh, I think uh, it, it would have been hard to believe that starting the week. Frankly, it would have been hard to believe any of this just uh, two weeks ago. Bob, walk me through this. How do we get from a horrific car crash last year 
where the reports were initially talking about how he would walk again. And, and that seemed to be the conversation. Forget golf. How do we get from that to what we're watching this week at the Masters? Yeah, it's amazing. I mean, part of it is is some, probably some good fortune. Part of it is having some really, really big people, important people on his team that help him get there. I mean, you know, he's got the resources and the and the time, uh, you know, to do everything that you would need to do to come back. And, you know, he has said this a couple times, um, you know, basically from the time he got home from the hospital, when all he really could do was sit, you know, he hasn't skipped a day. Now, what that all entails, we don't know, but certainly, you know, his upper body looks pretty strong. You know, he clearly was working on that. Um, when the time came for him to be able to get off of crutches or be, or walk unaided, you know, he did what he was allowed to do and kept doing it. You know, I did, you know, he has said uh, earlier that, that, the, that the rehab wasn't going as fast as he had wanted. And I think we can take that to mean he wasn't being allowed to do what he wanted as fast as he wanted. I don't necessarily think, you know, it, it was slow to come along. That was fine. And he was doing probably what he needed to do. He wanted to do more and was told he had to back off. And, you know, earlier on in his career, Tiger wouldn't have backed off. Uh, but now, you know, the, the same thing was with the back issues a few years ago. He, he's listened to his doctors. He's done what he's been told. And he's able to put in the time every day to do it. And, and, and I'm guessing he's still got a long, long way to go before, you know, I, I, I think there's still a lot of room for improvement with the leg and the ankle and the foot. And yet it's still never going to be perfect. And he's still going to be dealing with some pain every day. And his ability to withstand it, obviously, is, is, really, uh, is, is really pretty impressive. Talking to Bob Herrig, SportsIllustrated.com golf writer. Watching his round, what was impressive to me is it didn't feel like what was rusty was really his swing or even, like, power. It was, you know, he, he missed some greens. He blocked some irons, but not terribly. He would miss them just off the green. His chipping game maybe not quite as precise, so instead of three-footers for par, he has eight-footers, and he'd miss some of them. It feels like the kind of thing where he's actually close to being, let's say, three under and in second – and he's just a couple of mistakes here and there get you to one over and, and 19th. I think he summed that up pretty well. He, he's, he's got some competitive rust. I mean, I had somebody, you know, say to me, you know, look, you know, the one thing he could have been working on is his short game. And his short game's been, you know, a little sketchy. He's not yeah. he's, on the 15th today, for example, he's just over the green. And that's a, normally an easy up and down for him. Chipped it long and missed the putt. You know, um, but yet, where was he going to simulate these greens and this these, this kind of in undulation and chipping? I mean, he, he he there's just no way to do that. And 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 yeah, he's got uh, you know a couple of greens in his backyard, and I'm sure he chipped and putted as much as he could. But you know, it's just not the same under duress. His given what he's been through and how little he's played, his short game's really been pretty darn good. You know, he's hit some really really good chip shots too. Uh, you know, uh, and, and look, the approach to the 10th today from 218 yards with a five iron, you know, Joe LaCava, his caddy, said that was like the old days, you know, so it's still in there. And uh, I, I think we have to be a little bit patient too and and uh, and, and recognize that it's not going to all be great, that, uh, that he's 
but that it's still there and, and he can produce it sometimes. Bob, I was like a lot of people at one TV on ESPN plus watching Tiger's group, another TV on ESPN, just all in on Tiger. <laughs> and I was wondering to myself, okay, is this good for the long-term health of the game? The idea that it's another big event, another year where we're talking about Tiger in this post-Tiger world still hasn't happened. What does this mean for the future of the sport that Tiger is still by far the biggest star on the tour? I think, you know, you just have to look at it as it is. is Anytime he's around, it's a bonus. You hope that the, the extra eyeballs that are drawn in, a few of them might be intrigued enough by the other players that he's that are showcased to stick around. I think that's sort of been the case ever since he came on board. You know, it was you were hoping that he was going to draw more people in, and in some ways he did. Uh, you know, I just point to it, Tiger didn't play at all in 16 and 17. He played very limited in 14 and 15. Obviously, he didn't play at all last year, and there was still a lot of interest in, in golf. I mean, last year, Kepka and DeChambeau sort of carried the day. We've had Roy McIlroy and Spieth do that as well. Um, are they ever going to reach the level of Tiger? Probably not. It's just such a, he's such an outlier in that regard. You know, so unique. Never, he's, he's you know, once in, a, once in a generation. And I think, you know, people just need to sort of appreciate, appreciate it when he's out here. You know, take it for what it's worth. This is a total bonus right now that he's playing in the Masters and, uh, and actually performing at a pretty high level. Well, let's finish with this, Bob. There is a guy leading by five shots whose name is Scotty Scheffler, who's also the number one ranked player in the world. And I would argue could walk down the street of every city in America and no one would even stop him because they don't know who he is. It is sort of amazing that this kid is kind of becoming dominant, may run away with this thing. It still remains to be seen. And yet, if I were to list the 20 guys that are the most known on the PGA Tour, he ain't going to be on that list. Is that, Does this make Scotty Scheffler a star, or is he one of these guys destined to be like Nick Price, that he's a great player that no one ever ends up really caring about? Yeah, that's a great question. I'm not sure if it will or not. I mean, but if he wins the Masters and has four wins in like eight weeks, you know, that's that isn't just being that is not being done these days, you know, and that's impressive feat. Uh, one of the reasons he's not known is because it was just recently he won his first event. You know, he won yeah. in Phoenix in February. You know, like seven eight weeks ago it was the first time he won, and now he's added two more. And, uh, you know, crazy to think that he was the last man on the U.S. Ryder Cup team in September. He was a captain's pick of Steve Stricker. There was some debate about whether he should be picked. Um, he performed very nicely. And now he's, he's leading the Masters by five shots. And he, and he has, is, has won three tournaments this year. I mean, it's pretty impressive what he's been doing. And, you know, it probably will take him winning a major for people to know who it is. And then we see if, if that resonates, you know, if, 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 that, uh, if he picks up any steam and momentum. Because, you know, I think golf needs a front runner like that. It's, it's not great with parity. We need, we need somebody who wins a lot. And then you either root for him or you root for somebody to take him down. And that's, 
that's when golf is at its best. And we don't really have that right now. The best players are not winning a lot. They're up yeah. there a lot, but they're not winning all the time. Yeah, well, I still don't know who Danny Willett is, and he won a few years ago. So we'll see what happens with uh, Scotty Scheffler. <laughs> Bob, thank you very much for your time. Great as always. We appreciate it. Thanks, guys. Have a great night. And we're going to find out if Tiger Woods can stay in the zone this weekend. You know what? You can get in the zone, and it's brought to you by AutoZone. Get in the zone, AutoZone. Smooth transition right there. Also smooth was how quickly the Academy responded to the slap heard around the world. Was the punishment for Will Smith right? That and other things to get you ready for the weekend. That's next here on Spain and Fitz. On ESPN Radio. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. It is Spain and Fitz here on ESPN Radio on a Friday night. Matt, Matt Jones, Meyer Metcalf. People sending me – people are upset. Not a lot of people, but a couple people are upset, Myron, at some of my comments about how nobody knows Scotty Scheffler. Can I read you one of them? Yeah, please. Somebody just wrote in and said, Matt, the fact that you don't know much about Scotty Scheffler or what he looks like is an indictment of you as a sports radio host. You're on the radio and you don't know Scotty Scheffler. That should be enough for you to never be on ESPN again. What? Wow. How many how many how people many, how, how many people you think <laughs> like, ESPN would have to replace if you couldn't like if right. Scotty Scheffler was walking Come the on, halls man. there in Bristol? How many of the hosts of TV and radio on ESPN would you have to replace if they didn't look at him and go, what up, Scotty? It's Scotty S. in the house. It, it'd be a lot. I bet Scotty Scheffler's walking around Augusta and everybody doesn't know exactly who he is, man. I want to see if my boys, Keyshawn, Jay, Will, and Max, if they're just like, what's up, Scotty? How Scotty, you doing? Scotty Scheffler. He's, he's, no, he's good, just – He's just a not, you know, he's like one of those old school wrestlers, you know, who didn't really have theme music. They oh, you're started talking, like you're talking in the about ring. the jobbers. Yeah, started, had to had to like, you know, one color uniform, nothing special. <laughs> yes. Scotty Shepler, you know. Wait, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the ring, Bob Simpson. <laughs> yes, Bob. Yeah, that's a, that's that's Scotty Shepler. That's right. I think Scott Van Pelt would know him. Besides that, I'm not sure if anybody yeah. else would no, no. Uh, at the Bristol Studios. All right, well, I'll tell you something. Everybody knows is Will Smith, uh, the actor who smacked Chris Rock. It's, yeah. it's funny because I actually think this will be what he's most known for his entire life. Even though he yeah. was the Fresh Prince, even though he grew up in West Philadelphia where he was born and raised, even though parents just didn't understand what he was going through, yeah. even though he was I Am Sam. Or was, or was, that, was that the movie? What was, what, I Am what, Sam? Was that, what, the, what that? am I thinking? What movie are Maybe you I'm thinking? confusing well, Will I Am. Well, you did Seven Pounds. I think I was confusing the rapper, Will I Am, okay. and I Am okay. Sam. Anyway, point being, he will always be known as smacking Chris Rock. And Chris Rock, who may be the best stand-up comedian of our generation, maybe of the last, you know, along with what, Eddie Murphy, Chappelle, and George Carlin, maybe the best yeah. of all time, is going to be known as the guy who got smacked. And today, yeah. he was Will Smith was banned from the Oscars for 10 years for the slap. Even though they didn't kick him out at the time, Upon further review, 10 years of a ban. Do you feel like that was a fair decision from the Academy? Well, first off, when I saw 10 years, I said, wait, was that the Academy handing out a punishment or the NCAA? Uh, I mean, that, that sounded like something that, you know, you might hear out of the NCAA. 10 years is a long time. Long time. And I don't know how much people care. Like, to, to me, I don't think people are watching the Oscars and going to be like, see, Will Smith had to miss out. 
he still gets to go to the BET Awards and, and all the other awards out there. Oh, you know, so, he gets so, to go to the BET Awards. So there you go. So I mean, I, I don't know <laughs> that that means a, a whole lot. I mean, what he did was wrong. The fresh prints trying to put fresh hand prints on Chris Rock's face oh, was not a good one, thing, yeah. right? I was planning that. I worked on that. I didn't get the the response I expected, but that's okay. <laughs> well, but you know, I mean, it's fine. But here's the thing to me. No one cares about that. Just take the Oscar. That's what I thought they were going to do. Like, if you want to send a message that you can't slap people in the middle of an award show, you take the Oscar. But banning him for 10 years seems like a lot. And I don't know that it sends the message that maybe the Academy think thinks it take his Oscar because he did the movie. Like, he won. You know, he, 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 that game, you know, that movie happened. So I don't think you want to take the Oscar. I think if he ever gets nominated again, he should be banned, but she, he should be allowed to send DJ Jazzy Jeff because I keep wondering what's <laughs> happened to that dude. And throw him and on I stage. Feel like, I, feel like, I feel like DJ Jazzy Jeff has always been forgotten. You know, it, it, it's, it, I don't think that's fair. So, in my opinion, if that ever happens, send him. Now, for Chris Rock, Chris Rock always had this swagger on stage, right? Yeah. Like he's the coolest man in the building at any given moment. Not only yeah. is he funny – not only is he smart, but he's cool. Do you, now, he'll still be funny. He'll still be smart. But can he still have that swagger and be cool as the guy who is going to be most famous for having been slapped? I mean, there's going to be a, a, a segment of the social media era that, like, replays this over and over again. Like, he'll never escape that. But if you were ever going to be somebody in this situation, I think you'd want to be a comedian. Because if anybody's going to turn this into an hilarious moment, it'll be him. I mean, the guy had a hit show called Everybody Hates Chris, which basically he was did. built on him but being bullied. But he's not bullied. exactly – like, he's not a self-deprecating comedian. No, but- he's a comedian with swagger. I just don't know – listen, I love the guy. He might be my favorite comedian of all time. I just don't know. Can you walk around That's and it. say the things he does with the way he does it if you got smacked and you just stood there? That dude is going to start his next special saying – Will Smith slapped me, and the crowd's going to go crazy. Is that your <laughs> yeah, that's my crowd. It's not a good one. Do, do another one. Do, do some more for the listeners out there because it's really I good. I can't believe that Will Smith slapped me. That's what he's going to say. He's going to start it like that, and the crowd's going to go crazy, and there's going to be music, and it's going to be funny, and he's going to turn it all into one big joke. That's the worst impression I've ever heard. I feel like that should be a new segment on Spain and Fitz. Can you Myra believe that Chris Any other Rock. good impressions that are as good as that one? Every Friday we're going to have Myron call in to do an impression. Yeah, I think you got to do a free impression. He slapped do, me, Chris Do you do Rock. Barack Obama? Can you give me <laughs> some Barack do. Obama? Listen, man, I don't, I'm not an impression guy. I, I'm not an oh, impression really? guy. Oh, <laughs> really? I didn't realize that. I kind of thought you were like Rich Little. <laughs> There's a good reference for the kids. But, uh, well, no, look, I thought it was – I thought that was the worst impression I've ever heard. But I do think that was probably the right it, decision. You can't just have people walking around slapping people. I mean, you know, if, if, if next year Julia Roberts just walks on stage and smacks Meryl Streep, like, we can't have that. Those are the things yeah. that cannot be allowed in polite society. So I do feel like they probably, Myron, made the right decision. Well, and like to me, if you're going to do this, 
you have to remove him from the ceremony. That's the weird thing. He slapped that Chris Rock, and then he gave the speech. He went back to his seat and gave the speech like nothing had happened. And like nothing happened. <laughs> and if I'm, ri- if I'm Richard Williams, I'm like, wh- he got up there and said, I channeled my inner Whoa. Richard Williams. If Whoa. I'm Richard Williams, I'm like, leave me out of this for a second. <laughs> and Serena and Venus must have felt the same way. Like, they're just sitting there like, having to deal got- with that. And then Richard Williams was like, man, I hope that Meyer Metcalf gets to do his Chris Rock impression again. <laughs> Can you believe he smacked me? <laughs> Will Smith at the Oscars. Absolutely great. I hope that got your weekend started as happily as it got mine. More greatness coming up. It's from Freddie and Fitzsimmons. Maybe they'll have entertainers as good as Myron. This has been Spain and Fitz right here on ESPN Radio. Thanks for listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. You can listen to the show weeknights at 7 Eastern on ESPN Radio and on the ESPN app.